everybody, welcome. So, so good to have you here. Uh, I can get used to this worshiping outside. Yeah, who knew? Who knew that Ohio could have perfect weather every Sunday? But we are hoping it will be like this next week. We're going to do it again next week, worship outside at the same time, 10 and 11.30. I will, yeah, I will be giving uh, more detail in my weekly update, so you can pay attention to that. Uh, and uh, then the following week, on September 13th, we'll be back inside, and we've been saying for a while that something big is coming, and that something big will happen September 13th. We are going to begin to roll out what we feel like God is calling us to do as a church in the coming years. I have never been more excited about what God is going to do in and with and through us as a church. So don't miss next week out here, and don't miss September 13th back inside the building. All right, let me give you a, a just because update. Uh, most of you know that our church uh, has been doing just because or something like it for a lot of years. We usually do it between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We try to blanket this area with 10,000 acts of random kindness and generosity. And we do it between Thanksgiving and Christmas because we feel like that's a time when people get so harried that they need to be reminded uh, of God's love. And so we do these acts of kindness and generosity, right? And we decided to do it earlier this year because, holy cow, if our community and our country ever needed to be reminded of the love of God, it is now. So we have asked you to start to do it. And then last week, I told you that on September 6th, all the offering will go into a Just Because community fund where our church will begin to do uh, just things all around the community to try to remind people of God's love. And we've already started because uh, last week we found out that on Facebook there is a, a wish list that teachers here in Hudson had in order to prepare for this coming year. And we decided to fulfill all the wishes uh, that were left on the wish list. And we have been showered with thanks from different teachers, but I want to read one of them for you. This is from uh, Ashley. She says, uh, like most teachers, parents, students, everyone, I've been worrying a lot more about the start of the school year and how I was going to help my students grow and learn while also keeping them safe. Not only was I trying to prepare for my own preschool students returning to my classroom, I was also preparing for my own two young children to start back to school in a different district with a slightly different plan. It was a lot. I was trying to stay positive, but it was getting harder. My district was being so supportive. My family was amazing, but still, it was tough. Then a coworker emailed me to tell me about a teacher wish list page that a PTA member in our district helped organize to get our teachers materials they needed to keep kids safe and engaged in learning during this year of changes. I knew our PTA was amazing, but this was incredible. I put up my list and the support began. Wow. And not more than a day or two later, a local church, CCC, stepped in and said they would like to cover any wish list items that had not been granted for our teachers. Wow. All caps. My heart was lifted and my burden was instantly lighter. I felt the support of the community through these generous families and this awesome church. And I thought, we can do this. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to the Hudson community. I will never forget the change it made to the start of this school year, and I will pass it on. 
How awesome is that? That's, thanks. So anyway, so next week, all the offering will go towards a community fund, and then I will be giving you updates of the th different things that we have been able to do because of that. All right. This is the sixth week of our seven-week series on First uh, John, which we're calling Letter of Love. John, the disciple, wrote this when he was an old man, but he has never lost that sense of wonder of the breathtaking, life-changing love of God. And I want to look at three verses today that are really important verses, but they're also a little bit dangerous because they're easy to misunderstand. So let me read the verses, and then I'll explain what I mean. This is from uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. This is what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is God's word, and it's true. All right, so we started this theme, uh, Love Matters Most, way back in January. We got this theme from Matthew chapter 22, when a man walks up to Jesus and asks him a question. It's a great question. He says to Jesus, you're a teacher. What is the most important commandment? What matters most to God? And Jesus replied, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets, everything in the Bible from cover to cover is about those two things. All right, so that's where we got the theme. And here, John starts these three verses by saying, do not love the world. And what John is reminding us of is the simple truth that you can't love everything. You can't love everything. You can't love sin and love righteousness. You can't love justice and love lawlessness. You can't love the Browns and the Steelers, right? You have to choose. It's one or the other. John is reminding us of this simple fact that you can't love everything. But it's so important to understand this correctly because... There are people who have read this when John says, do not love the world, and they feel like they need to move out into the desert and start a monastery, become monks, and separate themselves from everything in order to obey these verses. There are other people who feel like they have to quit their normal job and then go into full-time ministry because that way they won't love the world. So what does John mean when he says, do not love the world? Okay, my three points are going to be what John doesn't mean what he does mean, and what to do about it. What he doesn't mean, what he does mean, and what to do about it. First, what he doesn't mean. One of the things you have to realize is that uh, back in the New Testament, they used the word world in several different ways. We do the same thing. One of the ways they used the word world was to describe the physical world. All the beauty around us right now, the grass, the trees, the sky, mountains, the ocean, all that God created. But when we read the Bible, we read that God loves the physical world. When God created the physical world in Genesis chapter 1, after every day, he stepped back and he said, this is good. This is good. At the end of the sixth day of creation, he steps back and he says, this is very good. 
Christianity, more than any other religion, teaches that God loves this physical world so much that when God decided to come, he came in a physical body, Jesus. When Jesus was resurrected, he had a physical body. He still has that physical body. We know in Romans chapter 8 that it says that all of creation groans because God one day is going to restore and redeem the entire physical world. So when John says you're not to love the world, he can't mean you're not to love the physical world, that you're only supposed to love spiritual things and not love the beauty that is all around you. Second way that the word world is used is to describe people. We use it like this too when we say the whole world was watching the Olympic Games. We don't mean that the, the mountains and the trees were watching or the animals were watching. We mean people. That's what John, who is the one who is writing this letter, is also the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, which contains that famous verse where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people so much that he emptied the treasures of heaven that we might be saved. And then he tells us we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to love people the way no one else loves people. We're to love people that don't, don't look like us, don't act like us, don't vote like us. We're to love people that hate us. Right? If the world ever needed Christians to act like Christians, it's now in this divided country of ours. So when John says don't love the world, he can't mean people because God loves people and he tells us to love people. But the third way that the Bible uses the word world is to describe a system that is antithetical to God's rule. You can almost, uh, you can think of it better as a uh, thinking about worldliness. You know, the, the Bible will say, don't be childish, but be childlike. The Bible says, be in the world, but not of the world. Be, don't be worldly. And of course, the question is, what does that mean? And that brings me to the second point of what John does mean when he says, do not love the world. John actually gives a, a more complete definition of what it means to not love the world or what it means to be worldly right here in these three verses than anywhere else in Scripture. And this is what he says. Verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's the way he describes being worldly. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The King James Version takes that, the word desires, and translates it into the word lust. So the King James Version says, the lust of the eye, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That word desires in the Greek is the word epithumia. If you've been coming to CCC for any length of time, you have heard me say that word before. It's an important word. Thumia is the Greek word for desire. Epi is the prefix that means over. An over-desire, a desire that is too strong, where you want something too much. 
And of course, the question is, what does it mean to have an over-desire of the flesh, an over-desire of the eyes, and then the pride of life? All right, I'm going to describe or define each one of those. And then last week, I told you that if you're playing poker, uh, you want to make sure that your opponents don't know the kind of cards that you have. In fact, one of the, the whole kind of logic of poker is to try to the strategy of poker is to say that you want them to actually think the opposite. If you have good cards, you want your opponents to think you have bad cards. If you have bad cards, you want your opponents to think you have good cards. But there's a thing called a tell in poker. And a tell is when you subconsciously let your opponents know what's really true. So you get good cards and you tend to, to subconsciously play with your ring or touch your face or touch your hair. That's called a tell because you're telling them what is really true. So I'm going to define each one of these, and I'm going to give you a tell that might help you determine whether this is something that you struggle with. All right? Okay, here we go. First, what does it mean to have an over-desire of the flesh? Well, one of the ways the Bible describes the flesh is the, the here and now, what this world is all about. And if you begin to think that this world is all there is and all you focus on, then you are having an over-desire. You are caring about this life too much. All you have to do is watch our commercials where it says you need to grab all the gusto you can. You only go through life once. And we spend our lives focusing either on achievement or pleasure that we can have right here right now. And as Christians, when we do that, what John is saying is that you are beginning to want stuff right here, right now, focusing too much on this world. And it plays itself out in a bunch of different ways. But in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talks about anxiety and worry. And he says, why do you worry about what you wear or what you eat, or even how long you live. And what he's trying to say is when you start to worry too much, one of the things that's happening is that you are beginning to desire this particular experience, this life, and you're focusing too much on this life. All right, I'll give you the tell. All right, and there are lots of tells, but I'll just give you this one. One tell that you are focusing too much on this life is generosity. How generous are you? If you are taking all your money and either in spending it on you and saving it for you and not giving away a, a, a radical amount of money for normal people, then you are probably focusing too much on this world. There's a story in Luke chapter 19 of a man named Zacchaeus. It describes Zacchaeus as being a chief tax collector, and it says, and he was rich. And what you realize when you start to read this story is that Zacchaeus had an over-desire for this life, which made him become very, very self-centered and selfish. But by the end of his time with Jesus, what you find with Zacchaeus is that he gives more than half of his money away, of his entire wealth, he gives it away. Why? Because Zacchaeus has been cured of having an over-desire of this life. And he realized what, from what Jesus said that there's more to our existence, that this is just a prologue of what life is coming and what Jesus has provided. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing he says is a, an over-desire of the eyes. What does it mean to have an over-desire of the eyes? That means when you, you look at something and you say, I have to have that. If I am going to be fulfilled, if I am going to be happy, if I am going to be satisfied, I need 
that, right? And uh, it's actually the very first sin in the Bible, the way sin enters the world is that Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the serpent begins to talk to Eve. And then it says this, Eve looked at the tree and she saw that the fruit was good to the eyes and good to eat. And she took of the fruit. What Eve decided at some point was she was saying, I don't care what God says, I need that if I'm really going to be satisfied, if I'm really going to experience life. There's another story of a man named Achan. When the Israelites come out of Egypt and they, they destroy Jericho, many of you know that story. They march around Jericho and then the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But God had said, do not take anything from Jericho. And Achan was walking through the rubble of Jericho and he saw, it says, his eyes saw bars of gold and silver and clothing. And he wanted it. He desired it. And so he grabbed it and he took it. And what he was saying is, I don't care what God said. I need this. I want this. And I need it in order to be satisfied with life. And finally, there's the story of David and Bathsheba. King David is up on his roof, and then he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And he says to the men around him, who is that? And they try to help David. They say, is that not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? They're saying she's taken. And David looks at her and he says, it doesn't matter. Get her for me. And what he's saying is, I don't care what God says, what God wants. What I want is this, and I think I have to have it in order to be satisfied. And of course, here's the tell for you. If there is anything in your life, if there is anything where you are saying, I don't care what God says, I don't care what God wants, I want this, and I'm going to take it because I feel like I need it in order to be satisfied. In every story that I told you, in every story in the Bible where somebody does that, it ends in absolute agony and destruction. And anytime I've seen it in somebody's life, it has ended poorly until they come back and repent and begin to follow God. All right? Last thing is the pride of life. The pride of life. Pride is an interesting thing. Pride impacts all of us. I think all of us struggle with pride, whether we realize it or not. And if you think you don't, you probably do more than most. Pride is just this. You walk into a room of two people and you think that what you want is more important than what the other person wants, that's pride. You walk into a room full of people and you think you're the most important person and what you want is the most important thing in that room, that's pride. One of the most... uh, discouraging and frustrating things about being a pastor of a church this size is that I can't please everyone. I can't please everyone. Look around, all these people. And the group of people here, right right here, right now, is probably, I don't know, one-tenth of the number of people that actually attend CCC. That means I can never have the right all the right songs. I can never have all the right worship. I can never have just the right sermon for every single person. And the more people who attend our church, that think to themselves, yeah, I understand that, but what I want is more important than what anybody else wants, the worse it is. 
And the, the discouraging thing is it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Sometimes people who've been Christians the longest are the people who are most likely to say, you know what? I want what I want. I want the worship that I want. I want the, the, the sermon that I want. Okay, you ready for your tell? Here's the tell. If you complain more than you serve, this is your thing. If you complain more than you serve, and I say that because when you serve, you are looking for other people's needs. You are saying, they're more important. I'm going to serve them. But when you complain, you are saying, I am more important than other people. So I am the most important thing. All right, so those are the, that's the way that John describes what it means to love the world. He says there's, a, there's an over-desire of the flesh where you think here and now is the most important th- thing. There's an over-desire of the eyes where you look at something and you say, I got to have it. I got to have it, whether it's a corner office or a spouse or, a, or a, a designer purse or anything else where you say, I must have this in order to be happy. And then there's the pride of life. But then there's the third point, which is what to do about it. John gives us two things to do about it. One's a negative thing. One's a positive thing. This is a negative thing that he says. Verse 17. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is trying to remind us that everything we think will make us happy has an expiration date. Everything is passing away. So when you look at something and you say, I got to have this and this will make me happy, it's got an expiration date. It's going to pass away. Uh, Our staff was just watching... We were just in some training about how to share Jesus in a postmodern world. And we're kind of the guinea pigs for this thing. And we're going to teach you guys that. And this, it's going to be great, great for all of us to know how to do this. But we watched uh, just a little clip, a two-minute clip of Tom Brady being interviewed. Tom Brady is considered the greatest NFL quarterback, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. This interview happened after he'd won his third Super Bowl. And he was just voted the most eligible bachelor in the world. And in this interview, what he says is the thing that surprised him was that he's not content. And the interviewer says, really? You're not content? What do you mean? He said, well, I thought that winning Super Bowls would make me happy, would make me content, but I'm not. And what, he had, what had happened, you know, if your refrigerator's like mine, I open my refrigerator, I can pick out things and look at the expiration date. You know, I can go, oh, I got a week to eat this, right? Or I can look at something going, ah, missed this by a year. It's been expired for a year. What Tom Brady was saying is, I just won these Super Bowls. And before the confetti hit the ground, it was expired. And I realized it didn't really work. And all of us have experienced that, right? The, the smell of a new car goes away. They have the honeymoon, whether it's an actual honeymoon with a spouse or the honeymoon of a new job or the honeymoon of a new area or a new house, everything has an expiration date. So John is trying to remind us that when you look at different things around here, in order to fill you up, there is only one thing that lasts forever, and that's Jesus. And that brings me to the positive thing that he says, and this is verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What a weird way to say that. That's not what I would have said if I were John. I would have said, listen, do not love the world. Instead, love God more. Right? That makes sense. That's not what he says. 
What he says is, do not love the world. If you love the world, that means the love of the Father is not in you. And what John, as an old man, is saying is that if you lose the wonder of the gospel, this amazing, breathtaking, life-changing love of God that God has given you through his son, Jesus, if that is not filling you up, you will begin to love the world. It will only be a matter of time before you are overcome by an over-desire of the flesh, of the here and hour, an over-desire of the eyes, where you begin to look around and say, if only I had that, if only I had this, before you are overwhelmed by the pride of life. Oh, I love John. And I love that as an old man, he has not lost that. He is giving us a warning. Do not love the world. Do not fall in love with this system that is antithetical to God. But he's also giving us a great reminder. And the reminder is this. It's the greatest of all truths, that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What John is reminding all of us once again is that for this God of the universe, because he has sent Jesus, his son, and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God has told us again that to him, love matters most. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, and uh, I am the first to say that uh, I am grateful for these verses. They are a great reminder to me because you know my heart. You know I have struggled at different times with all these things, with an, uh, a focus on this life, forgetting that this life is not all there is. I have I have struggled with seeing things and saying, if only I had that, if only I accomplished that, if only I experienced that, then I would be fulfilled. And you know I have struggled with pride. My guess is that everybody here is in the same boat. And my prayer is that we would be like John. As we grow older, as we, are, as we get richer in the gospel, that you will remind us not only that things are passing away, but remind us of your deep love for us through Jesus, and that by reminding of that, you will cure us of a love of the world, and we'll begin to love you even more. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.